0: Goodness. Hi everybody. Hello. I'm Hello. Lindsay
1: Harbert Silberman. I'm Rebecca Lee.
0: <laughs> this is the first time we've ever introduced ourselves I to the podcast. I think it
1: might be. I
0: feel like you, you usually are like, hey, psst, we should say our names. And I'm like, oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. We are people. <laughs> we have names.
0: Yeah. We have lives. We do. Beyond this. I know it's hard to it's believe. It's hard to believe. But it's true. Yeah. We have other I things. mean, not much beyond this, but no. a little bit. A little bit. I we have, have a cat. I have two dogs. <laughs> They're so old. Yeah, my cat's pretty. All insane. of our animals are old. We have a lot of old animals yeah. in our lives. Yeah, damn. Oh, it's gonna be a. S- oh We're not gonna talk
1: about. It. They're gonna live forever, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what yet. age they are. What is happening? I know. I
0: feel like our last podcast also a siren occurred. Yeah, my neighbor is coming out. Listen, if we all acknowledge it and accept it, we'll it's just gonna move be forward okay with this podcast. We're yeah. just gonna full speed ahead on this shit. One hundred percent. Not wonder or worry. No, everything's fine. No (laughs) fires here. Everything's great. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Oh man! Holy shit! Ah, Don't worry, guys. I did see a building on fire on the way up to see the eclipse. Oh no! Um, Did you guys check out? I guess it'll be maybe like four, like a month ago ago when this comes out. (laughs) Um, But there was a super uh, blood moon lunar eclipse. Yeah, like all the
1: things. It was. It was a super. Blood moon slash blue moon lunar eclipse. Oh, shit. Because a blue moon is the second full moon in the month.
0: Okay. But it was also the blood moon. Right.
1: So it was a red blue moon. Holy shit. Mm hmm. Man. It Crazy. Was bonkers. I didn't see it. I'm, guys, I'm not good at living life sometimes. You, didn't... What wait, you,
0: you weren't um an unemployed person who trekked up to Griffith Park with. No, a... I was an unemployed person that stayed asleep. <laughs> like at 3 a.m. <laughs> You got to get your sleeps, your
1: I, The funny thing was, I wo- this is the most boring story ever, but you <laughs> deal with it. You're listening to my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I woke up at three and I yeah. was like, not on purpose. It's just what my body does sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I looked my at my phone. Me up sometimes. I wake up pass? in a, no, because Chunk won't move once oh. he's snuggled up. No. Charlie will. Sometimes she's delirious at night. Um, mm-hmm. But I just woke up. It was a fluke. And I was like, maybe I should go outside.
0: Nah. <laughs> Bye. Back to sleep. <laughs> I'll see it on the internet later.
1: But there was a house on fire or a building on yeah, fire? Yeah, on the
0: way driving up, there was a like a public building on fire. Like it looked like a building you'd have like public restrooms at the park. It was oh. just completely on fire. And nobody, there was maybe one car parked and we got out of the car and we're just like, call 911. Like why That's is so nobody? Scary. We're literally in the park and it's not like no one was, it's not like an empty night. It, it was a huge, actually we couldn't even park up Oh really, tour up tourney. top? We had to go all the way around and like walk a mile up to get back up there which sucked at 3 a.m. Yeah. My we're like, what is happening? Girl, it's 3, what you doing? Yeah, I know, my body was like not happy with me that day. Um, but anyway, so like no one was there, it was just this giant building that was on fire. I'll put it on our Instagram. <laughs> yes, please do. Ugh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's jar- fires are scary and jarring and I hope that those sirens weren't we're not going not that. On. Yeah. So anyway, we didn't digress at, all. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a fire podcast, you guys. <laughs> Welcome to our fire safety podcast. We are changing
1: it up and now we just talk
0: about fires. Surprise. Surprise.
1: <laughs> we tricked your real baby yeah. switch. I'm bait trying to
0: switch <laughs> boss bitch. Ooh, that's good. That's our April Fools. I'm
1: trying to turn on the light in this room and I nearly mm-hmm. broke my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, you needed to know that too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we we are still are we are continuing with our black history month that's right um installment of the lost boss bitches mm-hmm. um because we're still in february yeah there's
0: uh, a lot of uh, african-american people who made history yeah despite what everybody taught us for most of our lives yes
1: despite what your public school may have told you mm-hmm. there are black a lot of very did do things yes a lot of things <laughs> yeah. despite big things despite <laughs> being told all their lives that they can't and they shouldn't
0: exactly Exactly. So
1: we're here to tell you about more of them. All right. Okay. Um, you want me to go first since you went first? Yeah. last Yeah. Um, so I am doing Josephine Baker. <gasps> oh, interesting. Are you doing Josephine? No, okay. I'm doing Tiffany Haddish. Just
0: kidding. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to... We
1: haven't mind. done Josephine Baker, right? No, we have
0: not, but I also have an uh, entertainer.
1: Entertainer. Awesome.
0: This will be a fun...
1: A fun ooh, hour. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Josephine Baker was uh, a giant, uh, kind of vaudeville entertainer um, in 1920s. On um, she, well, I'll just get into it. So she grew up in a low-income neighborhood near Union Station in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, it consisted mainly of rooming houses, brothels, and apartments with no indoor plumbing. Mm. Sounds like... A gigantic bummer? Yes. So she was always poorly dressed and hungry as a child. Oh. And because of that, she developed street smarts playing in the railroad yards of Union Station. <laughs>
0: this is like... Like a like a savvy little feet. Yep, you know, like just like street. She's street smart. She's got some street smart. Yeah, you want to buy something? She's got some uh, junk in the back. She's gonna she's gonna go get
1: that loaf of bread for us, (laughs) mister. Those were those were old timey cops. I think
0: those are quotes from her. Also quotes from her.
1: (laughs) Um, so she had little formal education but attended Lincoln Elementary School only through the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, she took in laundry to wash to make ends meet and at eight years old she began working as a li- live-in domestic for white families in St. Louis. Um, one woman abused her burning her mm-hmm. hands when she was a young girl because she put too much soap in the laundry. That's stupid. Oh,
0: What that doesn't even fit the like
1: no, I mean, what's wrong with putting too much soap in the laundry? Yeah, like you're get just getting an extra clean. Well,
0: if you're gonna have like a punishment quote that fits the crime, like not, put her hands in boiling water, yeah, not fire. No, what
1: doesn't make fire any fire is
0: already a theme of this
1: podcast. Seriously, <laughs> wow, wow. All right, it's all coming together. Mm-hmm. So when she was twelve, she dropped out of school. At 13, she started working as a waitress at the old chauffeurs club mm. on Pine Street. Don't know if you guys are familiar with it. <laughs> Pine <Street. laughs> on Pine Street, the old chauffeurs not club not on Pine the one Street on Elm? Not the one okay, on Elm. Okay, no, okay. Pine, Pine, saying. Pine.
0: <laughs> both street, both tree streets. Uh-huh. But this okay, one, on I was Pine. really confused. I was pitching a totally different chauffeurs club. Oh no, club diff- yeah. Yeah, the, the other one. Okay. <laughs> Um
1: so she lived as a street child in the slums of St. Louis, sleeping in cardboard shelters, mm. scavenging for food in the garbage, and also making a living with street corner dancing. Mm. Um, but because of this street corner dancing, mm-hmm. she attracted some attention, oh. as you might. yeah. And she was recruited by the St L- uh, St. Louis Chorus vaudeville show at the age of 15. Okay. big break. Big break, and that had her head into New York City during the Harlem Renaissance. Nice. Performing at the Plantation Club and in chorus lines wow. of the groundbreaking and hugely successful Broadway reviews shuffle along wow. with Adelaide Hall and the Chocolate Dandies in 1924.
0: So like, just like a little homeless girl trying S- to make ends meet. So dancing like, on dancing street corners. And then she's like in like arguably one of the most important places and times. Yes. In America's history. Yes. Performing. Especially for arts.
1: Like, yeah, it was a huge music um and you know, performance obviously Renaissance it's called yeah. the Harlem Renaissance. Guys. Exactly. I mean, just
0: like the forefront of any like of art that yeah that essentially just like ripple affected all of our artistic identity till now. Yeah. Like okay, she's just there, and yeah. she's fifteen. She's tiny. Yeah, I assume i get probably an itty-bitty. Right? Like a little hat? Yes.
1: (laughs) So this is funny. She performed as the last dancer at the end of the chorus line, and her act was to perform in a comic manner Mm -hmm. as if she were unable to remember the dance until the encore, at which point she would perform it, like, even more complicated than it was originally.
0: A little bait and switch.
1: Yep. (laughs) She was um, billed as the highest-paid chorus girl in vaudeville. Wow. So from street corners to the highest-paid chorus girl in vaudeville.
0: That is... Crazy.
1: Um, so, here comes all the bullshit. Oh, because she was in the United States, she was often faced with rejection due to her race. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was quoted saying, "One day, I realized I was living in a country where I was afraid to be black. It was the only country. It was only a country for white people, not black. So I left. And I had I had been suffocating in the United States. A lot of us left not because we wanted to leave, but because we couldn't stand it anymore. And um, I felt le- liberated in Paris." Wow. So, spoiler alert, she moved to Paris. Yeah. Um, and she became an instant sensation success for her erotic dancing. Mm-hmm. She appeared practically nude on stage. Um, her most famous outfit is, like, a teeny tiny skirt made of plastic bananas. Yeah. And a little top. Mm-hmm. Every, I'm sure everybody, like, realizes they've seen it at some yeah. point in their lives. Totally. Um, And, oh, where did I write it down? One, oh, yeah. Okay, so... Um in later shows in Paris, she was often accompanied on stage by her pet cheetah Chiquita, mm-hmm. who was adorned with a diamond collar, and the cheetah frequently escaped into the orchestra <laughs> pit where it terrorized the musicians, adding another element of excitement to oh, the show. Chaos. Um, right? Uh, maybe you don't have a cheetah. Maybe activity. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a while, she was the most successful American en- entertainer working in France and Ernest Hemingway called her the most sensational woman anyone ever saw.
0: Wow.
1: So she was super popular in France, but, um, because America was super racist, her star never quite reached the same, you know, heights here. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't a 1936 revival of Zigfield Follies on Broadway. But it generated less than an impressive box office. And in the later run, she was replaced by Gypsy Rose Lee. Mm. Um, Time Magazine referred to her as a inward wench mm. who's dancing. And Time s- Magazine, you say? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: cool. Who's dancing
1: and singing, singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris. While other critics said her voice was too thin and dwarf-like to fill the Winter Garden Theater. So after that, of course, she returned to Europe heartbroken, mm-hmm. um, and that was a big contributing factor to her becoming a legal citizen of France and giving up her American citizenship. Yeah. So this is where it gets super crazy, and I had no idea about her, this part of her history, yeah. but um, she was basically like a spy during well, World War II. What? Yeah. Yeah. So in more, September 1939, when France declared war on Germany in response to the invasion of Poland, uh-huh. history, okay. Baker was recruited by the Dumais Bureau, the uh-huh. French military intelligence as an honorable correspondent. So uh-huh. she collected what information she could about German troop locations from officials she met at parties. Uh- <laughs> yeah. So she specialized in it. gatherings at embassies and ministries. She mm-hmm. charmed people as she always had done while gathering information. Oh,
0: my God. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my God. That is fucking. It's just like, like, what a life, you know? Yeah. Like, wh- from she
1: started on a, like, first being abused by the, the house women yeah. when she was working as domestic. Then... She was basically homeless, living in cardboard boxes, yeah. dancing on street corners, and um, now she's a spy for France. Yeah, during World what War Two. Yeah. yeah.
0: Has she? Is there been like a movie based on her life? There or has it, or like to be a, like a book or. Yeah, it's just like it's so outlandish. It's I know, so insane. It's amazing.
1: So while she was doing her, her kind of. Espionage. Mm-hmm. Her cafe society fame enabled her to rub shoulders with those in the know, mm-hmm. from high ranking Japanese officials to Italian
0: bureaucrats. Uh-huh. Where was her cheetah through all of this? That's a good <laughs> question. Where was just Chiquita? Like, like, just uh, pouncing into like dignitaries. <laughs> yes. <like>, Why? <"What>? <laughs> I don't go anywhere without Chiquita. No, Chiquita's so. my baby. I don't care what I am right now. Yeah.
1: And tell me what you know anyway. Tell me what you know. <laughs> Um, she attended parties and gathering, uh, gathered information at the Italian embassy without mm-hmm. raising suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, so in 1949, a reinvented baker, she mm-hmm. was bolstered by the recognition of her wartime heroics. Mm-hmm. Um, she assumed a new gravitas in her performances. She was unafraid to take a serious tone. It wasn't just, you know, kitschy and cute anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, her engagement at the Follies Bergerie mm-hmm. Was a rousing success It reestablished her As one of Paris's preeminent entertainers And then in 1951 She re- returned to the United States And that brings us to her civil rights work <gasps> Yeah Like what the fuck She did everything this like 14 lost boss I know one. It's crazy <gasps> So she arrived in New York, um, and she and her husband at the time, Joe, were refused reservations at 36 hotels wow. because of racial discrimination. She was mm-hmm. so upset by this uh, that she wrote articles about the segregation in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, she also began traveling into the South. She gave a talk at Fisk University, a historically black college in Nas- Nashville on France, North Africa, and the equality of the races in France. Mm-hmm. Um, she refused to perform at segregated audiences in the United States. Um, a Miami club offered her $10,000 to do it, and she said no. The mm. club eventually came to her demands of having um, a non-segregated audience. Fuck
0: yeah, plus cheetah. No. Right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's h- any human of any race and her cheetah.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. No compromise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not going to... I draw the line. Yeah. Um, her insistence on mixed audiences Helped to integrate Live entertainment shows In Las Vegas, Nevada Wow Yeah Interesting Yeah And of course The Q- Ku Klux Klan Bunch of The horrible people In mm-hmm. white sheets mm-hmm. um, Started threatening phone Don't calls alienate
0: Our Klan followers Oh that's true <laughs> Sorry
1: guys Wow We are not gonna hear The end of this We sure aren't So <laughs> many tweets um, She said publicly She wasn't afraid of them Even though they Basically wanted to kill her mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Awesome. She also, there was an incident at the Stork Club in Manhattan. Uh, she said that she was allegedly refused service. And then actress Grace Kelly, who later became yeah, princess, princess of, of Monaco. Right. Um, she rushed over to Baker, took her arm and stormed out with her entire party vowing never to return. Mm. But <laughs> she came back on January 3rd, <laughs> 1956. Oh, okay. Princess Grace did. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, no, convictions. No, got
0: to have her... Scallops Right What are you
1: (laughs) Scallops and butter Mm -hmm. But still the two women Became close friends After that Mm -hmm. So her civil rights uh, Work Continued In 1963 She spoke At the March on Washington This is really interesting She was the only Official female speaker there Wow Yeah Um, She uh, Introduced uh, Let's see yeah, she, she spoke and Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates were among uh, those that she acknowledged in her speech and both gave brief speeches, but she was the only official woman speaker, wow. which really blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and then this is so interesting too. So after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, his widow Coretta Scott King mm-hmm. approached Baker in the Netherlands. Don't know why they were there, but yeah, um, what's that about. <laughs> it's just a <laughs> random spot they were both mm-hmm. in.
0: They love this guest house there. Oh my, oh god. my god. They S- have these like warm scones.
1: Oh. Holy shit. To you die. Got to go to the Netherlands. <laughs> to <laughs> die. Um so she asked if uh, she would take Martin uh her husband's place as the leader of the Civil Rights Movement. Damn. I know. And after many days of thinking it over, Baker declined. She said her children were too young to lose their mother.
0: Oh my yeah. god. Um
1: so after Oh, this is really sweet. Uh so, during her work in the Civil Rights Movement, she began adopting children. Mm-hmm. She formed a family that she often referred to as the Rainbow Tribe. She wanted mm-hmm. to prove that children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and she often took the children with her cross-country. Um, and when they were at Chateau de Millandes, which is like her estate, she arranged tours so visitors could walk the grounds and see how natural and happy the children were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wonder if the kid Like, it's what like a weird... Like force, it's like real world. Josephine Baker's case, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, do they all have to practice different religions too? Probably. Eth- ethnicities, yeah.
1: It's like the United Colors of Benetton. Yeah, it's
0: like put your kippa back on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Shlomo.
0: <laughs> like,
1: and yeah, and I think one of her adopted sons wrote a um, biography about her, and he said that she was also bisexual. Oh, damn! She was married four times, but had. Affairs with women as well Um, God damn Yeah So in 1975 She Mm -hmm. starred in her last show Mm -hmm. It was a retrospective review At the Bobino In Paris Um, It was celebrating Her 50 years in show business Damn It was financed Notably by Prince Rainier Princess Grace And Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Mm -hmm. Open to rave reviews Um, The seating sold out They had to bring in Folding chairs um, the opening night audience included uh, Sophia Loren, Mick Jagger, Shirley Bassey, Diana Ross, and of course Liza.
0: Yeah, you gotta get Liza. <laughs> in gotta there. get Liza. A
1: show without Liza, hell no. <laughs> um, and then four days later, Baker was found lying peacefully in her bed, surrounded by newspapers with glowing reviews of her performance. So she was dead. She suffered from a cerebral hemorrhage and was in a coma. And she was taken to the hospital, where she died at age sixty eight on April twelfth, nineteen
0: seventy five. Oh, yeah. But what a life. What a life. And the newspaper's just like all around. Yeah. That seems convenient, right? <laughs> Did someone who, maybe a secret she stole. Let's just frame her body <laughs> with
1: newspapers. <laughs> no one will suspect. Her. She's just so happy that her brain <laughs> hemorrhages. Will
0: hemorrhage a brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god that is such a cool Oh josephine baker like we y'all know so little about her. like we kind of know her like she's
1: yeah she has like that iconic but outfit and yeah. i think i've seen her with pictures with the cheetah yeah but she was a fucking spy you guys yeah, and like, coretta scott whoa. king wanted her to take the civil rights movement over like,
0: holy shit
1: that's a lot of stuff yeah and she had she stopped going to school at 12 yeah amazing
0: damn blown away damn they don't make them like that anymore they sure don't you know wow that makes uh it makes i don't i can't well okay my lady she i mean she's good she's not that good well you know what she's Uh she's great in her own right i'm sure in her own right um so i have lil hardin armstrong oh uh, the wife of louie armstrong oh very cool yeah another midwestern uh Midwestern music entertainer. Uh, not that Josephine Baker was a musician, but um, singer. Whatever. Right. Anyway, she has a really interesting life in her own right. Um, aside from her spouse, who they only were married for a very short time too, which is interesting. Um. Anyway, tell well, me more. I. I will. I will. <laughs> my it would all. be really awkward if you're like, no, that's all I'm going to tell that's you. That's it. That's your lost boss, bitch. That's this person m- exists. My Can we just? Watch some Instagram stories now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Lil Hardin Armstrong was born Lillian Hardin in 1898 in Memphis, Tennessee, where she grew up, um, in a household with her grandmother, Priscilla Martin, a former slave from near Oxford, Mississippi. Martin had a son and three daughters. One was Dempsey, Lil's mother. They relocated her family to Memphis in order to get away from her husband. Um, violence, uh, there. And they made the trek via mule drawn wagon. (laughs) Oh, so again, it's like getting, it's like painting a scene of like such a Spartan life. Yes. Very, um, you know, like post slave, but like not too far out, not too far removed. And then it's like, we see them blossom. Um, okay. So Lil was born on February 3rd, 1898. Uh, her dad died when she was seven, um, though Dempsey, her mom, uh, remarried, uh, which Lil Hardin followed suit in many ways. During her early years, Hardin was taught hymns, spirituals, and European classical music on the piano. Of course, like, Learned it when she was fucking four years old. Oh, like, come on. such a through line. Some of our <laughs> lost, lost bitches were those so fucking young. By five, prodigies. they spoke five languages <laughs> and could solve a Rubik's uh-huh. cube in two seconds. Exactly, and I can barely speak one, as you guys know. I can't. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. It's really hard. Ugh. Anyway, she was drawn to popular music and the blues. Um, she first received like, uh, like piano instruction, more um, standardized piano instruction from her third grade teacher. Um, And then she had showed, like, quite an aptitude for it. So Mm -hmm. her mother enrolled her in Mrs. Hook's School for Music. Amazing. Fisk University, a college for African-Americans located in downtown Nashville. Fisk
1: University was mentioned in the Josephine one, too. She spoke there.
0: Damn. Yeah. connection. Yeah, connection. I love it. And these specialty schools that really foster. Right. um, Yeah, kids. And and amazing. Her mom was
1: like, she's really good at this. I'm going to support that and send her to a school where it can flourish. Mm
0: -hmm. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway i love it i love it so um uh yeah so she went to fisk in downtown nashville and there harden was taught a more acceptable approach to the instrument um so again more standardized she she played really well when she was young but it's kind of like when we did um uh what's her name from the battle of the sexes where it's like we have to billy jane king yes mm-hmm. we have to refine her into a lady like performer or oh. athlete or whatever it's like okay just let her let her rage let her ride let her tony harding that shit you know yeah. just like power let her have a triple axel yeah a couple she's lucky mm-hmm. um so she received a diploma from fisk university and returned to memphis in 1917 in august 1918 she moved to chicago with her mother and stepfather by then she had become a very proficient at reading music, uh, a skill that landed her a job as a sheep music demonstrator at Jones Music Store. Wow. Right? Just de- I didn't even know that was a how thing. You, it's like, how does sheep music work? Well, it's a piece of paper with music written on it. I'll demonstrate. And I'll read it. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, the store had been paying Hardin $3 a week, which is, uh, thank you, Wikipedia, it's $49 in 2017 dollars. Oh, I mean, dollars the future. That's still fucking no money. Low as fuck. Yeah. Um, but a band leader called. Called his name was Lawrence Duhay, Offered twenty two fifty. Wow. Three hundred and sixty six dollars in twenty seventeen dollars. Okay. Still no money. <laughs> you know, it's like okay. Um, knowing that her mother would not approve of her working in a cabaret, she made it know that her new job was playing for a dancing school. Um, lied to her mom. It was not. It was very you know, much. A you gotta cabaret. do what you gotta do. Music. Body. Music. Um, three weeks later, the band moved to a better booking at the deluxe cafe where the entertainers included Florence Mills and Cora Green. From there, the band moved up to the jewel of Chicago's nightlife, the dreamland. Um, so again, she's making a lot more money than demonstrating sheet music. (laughs) Um, she's at like the best nightclub in town. Um, and while she was there, she fell for her, her her first husband, Jimmy Johnson, a young singer from Washington, D.C., she married him, divorced him almost immediately. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, they toured a little bit, which was kind of fun, but then back to the dreamland, right? Right back there with Hardin at the piano. Did I mention that before? She played piano. Yeah. She's I, not demonstrating sheet music. Got she's it. Not, uh, you think cabaret, and it's like, what, what role did she play? Um, so soon King Oliver's Creole jazz band replaced Duhay's group at the dreamland, and uh, Hardin jumped on that band, um, got even more money. So again, she was working. She was well known in the area. She uh, worked as a pianist all around town. Uh, she was a, also a did a lot of vaudeville stuff as they toured in. Awesome, um, right? So the, her band and and herself like just like had enormous success before she even met Lou Armstrong. Anyway, um. King Oliver's band was killing it and he sent for Louis Armstrong to join as the second oh. coronetist. So that's where he comes into play. He was beginning to make a name for himself in their hometown, New Orleans, and regarded uh, Oliver as his mentor. But it was kind of this like contentious thing where they were both like as good as each other. And so Oliver was like, well, maybe I'll keep my enemies closer. Right? And Oliver was her then the band leader. Band leader. The new band that she... Is like jump in bands One one to the next Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, they enjoyed Working together But again It was kind of A contentious experience so at first, Harden was unimpressed with Louis, who <laughs> arrived in <from laughs> Chicago wearing clothes and a hairstyle that she deemed to be too country for Chicago. Oh, mm-hmm. judgy, judgy, right? Um, and she worked to take the country out of him. Oh, girl, right? So it's like it became Make a the man makeover you want. montage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cue like, makeover, right? And pretty woman, Louis Armstrong. <laughs> right,
0: <laughs> it's like, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, he's got a picture of him in my head. And it's like, <laughs> okay, okie dokie.
1: He's like, you work on commission, <laughs> right? <laughs> Big right. mistake. Big,
0: huge, <laughs> huge. <laughs> <laughs> so romance developed uh, to the surprise of every other band member, some of whom had been trying, who had been trying to like woo her for years and years with no success. Oh, so he caught her eye, even as unfashionable as he was. Um, so she already had had a divorce experience and helped Armstrong get a divorce from the wife that he was currently with, Daisy. Um, oh, poor Daisy. I know it's like. Whatever. So they were married on February 4th, 1924. A date. This is February 5th when we're recording this, guys. It's crazy. It's all coming oh together. God. Wow. Look Here at all are. this. Um, Harden... Back to Armstrong's makeover. <laughs> Harden took Armstrong shopping and taught him how to dress more fashionably. She got rid of his bangs. Ugh. Oh. Oh, my... <laughs> <laughs> Listen.
1: <laughs> nobody should have bangs unless you're ready for a commitment. <laughs> and
0: most people aren't. Okay? Louie... <laughs> louie looking at you looking at you with your bangs mm-hmm. and she began to foster his career as many women did um recognizing his extraordinary extraordinary talent she felt that he was wasting it as a secondary um in the band oh mm-hmm. armstrong was happy to be playing next to his idol and his like you know like mentor in a lot of ways but harden eventually persuaded him to leave oliver and go out on his own um that made Armstrong resign, because he listened to her, because she's smart as hell. Yeah. And in September 1924, accepted a job with Fletcher Henderson in New York City, big time. Oh, old Fletch? Mm-hmm, that's right. Old Fletch. Fletch. was like, hey, come on down. And he's like, uh, I got this band here. He's like, fuck em. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm getting rid of my bangs, and I'm joining this <laughs> band. That's right. Let's do it. Hardin stayed in Chicago, first with Oliver, then led a band of her own. Um, and she was there till... 1926 And with an offer That came uh, From the orchestra To play a six month Engagement at San Francisco's Pergola Ballroom So she's She's touring Um, Louis Anderson's In New York Louis Armstrong Louis Armstrong Anderson (laughs) Holy shit baskets Holy Louis shit. anderson's on baskets that's right this is all about <laughs> wait this is all about him this i was is all about saying Louis armstrong i meant Louis anderson <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry so weird <laughs> oh my god who is this woman <laughs> little known fact louie anderson
1: is actually a time traveler oh
0: my god my also my computer's at one percent <laughs> so we going to get through oh, we're gonna get through it <laughs> um you should have gone first probably that's okay that's all right <laughs> um, so, in the late 20s, Hardin and Armstrong grew apart. He formed a new Hot Five with Earl Hines on the piano, and Hardin uh, reformed her own band and uh, got like almost a lot of the people that were competing with uh, uh, Louis Armstrong at that time, and they separated in 1931. Uh, Armstrong had begun a liaison with uh, another woman uh-huh. who threatened to sue Armstrong for breach of promise. So he what? begged Hardin to not grant him a divorce. Yeah. Something happened with, like, this woman that he was, like, fucking
1: oh. wanting to sue
0: him. And he's like, no, no, I have to, like, still be aligned with Hardin. Um, and she's like, well, okay. But she later used that. So, also, she earned a... <laughs> She earned a degree at New York College of Music and then a postdoctoral degree in music. Just somewhere along the way, she just like did it, taking classes, doing some things. Wow! Um, in the nineteen thirties, sometimes billing her, she sometimes billed herself as Mrs. Louis Armstrong. Um, then she created an all-girl orchestra, uh, which was a big band and broadcast nationally over NBC Radio Network. In the same decade, she recorded a series of sides for Decca Records with a sp- swing vocalist and performed as a piano accompanist for many other single- singers. I gotta do some vocal before we do this. Same. Right? Yeah. Okay, I'm still at 1%, so let's keep going. <laughs> you guys still with us? Audience, we great. are
1: here. Okay. I'm just, after you said you're at one, I, I shouldn't take up the time. Just
0: keep going. Okay. <laughs> I'll just make it up if my computer does There you go. <laughs> In the late 1940s and early 1950s, Hardin worked mostly as a soloist singing and playing piano in her girl Oh, she was a is, singer, too. Yeah. she She's just like all... Again, it's like I was reading over this, and I was like... And then this happened, and then it's it's like, okay. Yeah. Again, a musician um, in many respects. Uh, in, the late 19, in the late 1940s, she decided to leave the music business and become a tailor. So she what? just took a course in tailoring. She has a PhD in music. She's like, I'm going to be a tailor now. Wow. Yeah. Her graduation project was to make a tuxedo for Louis, which what? is like on brand. Okay, yeah, I'll do it. It was displayed prominently at a New York cocktail party she threw to announce her new field of endeavor. That's so amazing. Think about this. She has a cocktail party. The who's who of New York and Chicago are there. She makes her ex husband a suit, a suit, and he get, comes out and she's like, "Hey." No more music for me. I'm a tailor now. A
1: <laughs> hey, they, there's a th- common theme here where she just wants to dress Louis Armstrong. <laughs> know,
0: she just wants to make sure he looking good. Yeah, because okay. he might
1: fall back into that, <laughs> you know, country the look. bang territory. Exactly. He might be like a. He might have the fashion sense of Britney Spears. Because mm-hmm. you know, left to her own devices, she
0: looks like garbage yeah absolutely so maybe that's how Louie was too oh my god so she said there's a quote they looked at Louie's tux and all the other things i had made and they were very impressed she recalled but then someone asked me to play the piano that's when i knew <laughs> i would never be able to leave the music business. oh my god uh, so she continued to be a tailor um only for friends and like kind of like you know like rich successful lady yeah like, i'll do it and i'm good at it but whatever um, but I don't need it. Exactly. So she eventually uh, got a... She went back to Chicago. She was touring all over the place. She made a trip to Europe, had a brief love affair in France. Oh, good for her. Um, oh, it's still going. But mostly she worked around Chicago um, uh, and, and just became a legend there. So the... she was included in the star-studded 1961 NBC Network special Chicago and All That Jazz and a follow-up album released by Verve Records. In, 19- in 1962, Harded began writing her autobiography in collaboration with Chris Albertson. Good. You guys need to know that. <laughs> of Albertson's grocery stores. Right. Oh, my God. What if it was? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> but she had second thoughts when she realized that such a book could not be written without including personal experiences that might discomfort Louis Armstrong oh she really cared about the way he felt i mean it was like she said she could uh, write it without uh experiences that would discomfort louis armstrong so it was shelved until his death um when armstrong died in 1971 hardin was deeply shaken by the loss she traveled to new york for the funeral and rode in the family car returning to chicago hardin felt the work on her autobiography could now continue but the following month she performed at a televised memorial concert for Armstrong and then collapsed at the <gasps> piano and died on the way to the hospital. Oh, my God. Attack. No book, bitch. Yeah, no. <laughs> Louis really didn't want that book happening. I <laughs> no, no, no. um, In the aftermath of her funeral, her letters and unfinished manuscript of her autobiography disappear from her house. What? Yeah. What shady shit was Louis Armstrong up to that somebody was really on. needs to keep this? But it's like...
1: Okay. The same person that what? scattered those newspapers around I Josephine know, Baker. Oh yes,
0: <laughs> who are you? <laughs> known us. The Illuminati. Please, please. If there's one through line, it's not African American <laughs> women. It's uh, fucking spies. Yep. Mysteries unsolved. Louis Armstrong Anderson. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2004, the Chicago Park District renamed a community park in her honor. Um, but again, she kind of gets uh, bulldozed over in Louis Armstrong's yeah. success. But she was very successful in her own right. She was both as a musician pianist,
1: and really, if Taylor. she hadn't made
0: Louis look less country, who knows? He may not have been as successful. Yeah, maybe we do a pre and post. Yeah, we should <laughs> before and after. Yes, how amazing would that be? Anyway, well, I love her. We go, yeah. Lil Armstrong. Yeah. Right? Just a little Lil. Just a little Lil. A little Lil. A little teeny Lil. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so there you have it, folks. Yeah. Thank you for, for weathering my computer dying, everybody. And, and thank you for listening to us talk about fire for a little while at the beginning. Yeah. This is this has been a nice grab bag of yeah. thoughts and feelings and women.
1: All so, the things. All the things. Yeah. You know,
0: some days... You fucking, you you let your mind wander and you let your computer die. That's where creativity comes from. (sighs) That's right. As they say. Let me put in one more reference about my computer dying. Okay. (laughs) There we go. Okay. And scene. All right. (laughs) And scene.
1: Thanks again for joining us, guys. Next week, Mm -hmm. we have an interview.
0: That's right. We have Selena Kopic. That's right. stand-up published author. What else is she? Blogger. Blogger. Um, And uh, she has a new comedy album out. That's correct. Yeah. She's super funny. You're going to love her. We had a
1: lot of fun talking to her. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, stay tuned. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Lost Boss Bitch is hosted by me, Lindsay Harbert Silberman. And me, Rebecca Lieb. We're produced by Sammy Junio. And our music is by Chiffon Miss
0: featuring Cassandra Violet. You can find the podcast at bossbitchpodcast.com. That's where you're listening on iTunes. Instagram is bossbitchpodcast. podcast, Twitter is Boss podcast, Facebook is Boss podcast as well. Thanks for listening.